<laughs> All right. The Lord who sees and provides. What a great segue into the message this morning. We're doing a series called Provision. Provision. Pro beforehand, vision to see. Think of the word provision. Uh, it comes from the Latin word providere. We get the English word providence from it. As Christians, we don't believe in coincidence. We believe in providence. God providentially directs our steps. The steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord, the psalmist said. You end up in the same place with a friend you haven't seen in years. It's not a coincidence. It is the providential hand of God. By his spirit, we are led. The scripture says in Romans eight fourteen, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so as we talk about providence this morning, the title of this message as we begin this four-part series through the month of September, I'll be preaching every Sunday this month, and then I'll be starting a new six-week series after that on the Word and the Spirit. I'm talking about the Bible. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, how we need both. We don't just want to be in one camp without the other or in this camp without that. We need both. We need to be Word and Spirit people. So whether you like me or not, you got me the next 10 weeks, okay? The Lord who sees and provides. Say that with me. The Lord who sees and provides. The text this morning is Genesis chapter 22, verses 13 and 14, reading from the New Living Translation. The Bible says, Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Everybody say, in place of. That's important. In place of his son. Verse 14, Abraham named the place Yahweh Yuri, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, if you've grown up in a church that is word-based, that teaches scripture, that actually opens the Bible and teaches it to, to the people, then you are probably familiar with one of the compound names of God. You've heard Jehovah Jireh. That is the anglicized English transliteration. The name of God as revealed is unspeakable. They have inserted some vowels to make otherwise silent consonants be speakable. As a matter of fact, faithful Hebrews say that it's the unspeakable name because the name is so holy. This is the name that God revealed himself, one of the names that he revealed himself to the children of Israel, which are yet to be born because they're in the loins of Abraham at this point, okay? And so when you take those letters, Y-H-W-H, actually there's no W in Hebrew, it would be a V, so when you say Yahweh, correctly it's Yahweh, everybody say Yahweh, okay, in English, we've transliterated that, and for the Y, we've put a J, which there is no J in Hebrew, so we've put a J-H-V-H, and we've put vowels in there, J-E-H-O-V-A-H, Jehovah. Now, I don't want to offend anybody, but Jehovah is not his name. Jehovah is just the way to say, to signify the Lord, because that's how he revealed himself. Everybody say, the Lord. He revealed himself as the Lord, Okay. And so that's the English transliteration of YHWH, which became Yahweh, all right? So in this mountain, the Lord revealed himself to Ab Abram, whose name became Abraham, as Yahweh Yiri, the Lord who sees 
and provides. Everybody say, sees and provides. Now, let me, let me, let me stop and pray because I don't want to get into my message ahead of myself. Let's pray right now. Father, help me. Help us as a congregation. Do what only you can do, Holy Spirit. You are the teacher. I ask you today that my meager attempt, the words that I bring to this, get in the middle of them, weave through the warp and the woof, the texture of the fabric of this message. Lord, just dig down into the hearts and the souls of your people and thank you for transitional power in their lives as we open up a critical passage of Scripture that which is a foundation to the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ is king and he is Lord and everything that he has provided for us. We thank you for that. We'll be careful to give you praise. We know how much we need you. We're desperate for you. God, I know that apart from you that I can do nothing, but I'm thankful to be able to say that I'm not apart from you, that I am in Christ and Christ is in me and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear to understand and perceive We'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory and all of God's people said, amen. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. We believe in providence, not coincidence. One thing, this is the way I've been teaching, preaching for years. I'm really kind of a combination of both. I teach a little bit, then I get excited and preach it a little bit. Some messages are exhortational and more preaching. Sometimes they go more to the teaching side. We're going to do a little bit of both this morning. But one thing, it's like a chorus that we're going to weave through this whole message. So I want you to get this. Say it with me like you mean it. Come on. God sees ahead all of your needs and has provided for them in his covenant promises. You guys got that on this side over here? Come on, everybody across the room, read it with me. God sees ahead all of your needs and has provided for them in his covenant promises. Third time's the charm. Everybody here together. God sees ahead all of your needs and has what? Provided for them where? In his covenant promises. Jesus taught the disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you guys don't have to be involved in mindless, endless chatter and repetition thinking you're going to get the, the, God's attention. He is not like the pagan gods and all of those who, the pagans that worship those false gods, thinking that their many words are going to bring the answer. Because the scripture says, your heavenly father knows what you need before you what? Before you ask, before you even pray about it, before you speak it, he knows what you need before. He provisions, he sees it, and he provides it. Everybody say, he sees it, and he provides it. I remember one time my dad was going out of town on some business, and he gave me some money to take care of a bill. He said, now, here's the provision for what I want you to do. You see to it that it gets done. How many of you know when you see to something, then you're going to follow through? So God sees your need, and he sees to it. He provides for it ahead of time. God sees ahead all of your needs and has provided for them in his covenant promises. Point number one, as we look to Genesis chapter 22, this story is about a man who is one of the key figures of the book of Genesis. We know Adam and then Noah, and then you have a guy in the part of chapter 11 of Genesis whose name is Abram, who later becomes Abraham because God changes his name. It's an older guy, and God promised him that he's going to become the father of a multitude of nations. He's already 75 at this point when God makes the promise. He's married to a lovely woman, Sarai, 
who is beautiful to behold, to look upon, but she's 65 at this point. They're already getting on up in years past childbearing. But God makes a promise to them that they're going to have a child. They had been childless until this point. And so from the last few verses of Genesis 11 through 12, all the way through 22, we see the waiting, the patience, standing in faith, believing, trusting God, God basically stretching Abraham's faith every time he would meet with him and he would show him the dust of the earth and say, count it. He would show him the sand of the sea and say, number it. He would say, look up and look at the stars of the heavens. And he would say, see that multitude? It's an innumerable company. He says, your seed is going to be like that. And he was always giving Abraham a picture, stretching him, helping him to see outside the box, helping him to see something bigger than what his current circumstances of barrenness and childless, childlessness, not childishness, but childlessness. No children. And in order to be able to see beyond that, God was stretching Abraham so his faith would begin to grow. And he was talking words that, that were outside the bounds of anything that Abraham had ever believed God for from that point. And the scripture says he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. When you read Galatians, the New Testament Pauline epistle to the, to the Galatian churches, Paul says, when God met with Abraham, he literally preached gospel to Abraham. So the Abrahamic covenant is a foundational stone to what we enjoy today as the new covenant gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that he is king right now, that he is our God who provides, that he is our God who heals and who loves and who brings peace and who restores and who forgives. All of these amazing characteristics of the nature of God that are revealed one at a time through the different names of God to his people throughout the Old Covenant all come together coagulating collectively in this one Jesus Christ don't have to know all of these multiplied. There's some 20 of them, the compound names of Jehovah, Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies, the Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord our peace, and I could go on and on and on and on. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our victory, our banner, Jehovah Roy, the Lord our shepherd, and there's multitudes of them. You don't have to know all of them to know the reality of what that name signifies or what it brings, and I'm going to be talking about that at the end of my message this morning. Because it's all tied up in one name, the, the name that every knee shall bow to, the name of Jesus. You don't have to know 20 different Jehovah compound names. You just have to be able to know one name and say it. Say it with me. Everybody say Jesus. Because that name has peace. That name has healing. That name has forgiveness. That name has provision. That name, that name provides everything that you need. All you need to know is the name of Jesus. The name that everything in heaven and earth will bow to and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. As we begin this morning, point number one, it says this is a test. It is only a test. We've all seen that obnoxious commercial that comes on television. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> From the emergency broadcast system. Say it with me. This is a test. It is only a test. For the next 15 seconds, it's this obnoxious sound. And then they'll come across in this staticky sounding voice that says, 
tuned to your local cable channel, you know, 815 or whatever, to get further instructions because there's a weather event or there is, you know, we were, Abby and I went to hear CeCe Winans at the Orpheum Friday night and I'm walking along Main Street and this, my phone starts going off. And it was an Amber Alert. Some child had been kidnapped somewhere, you know. And so we've been seeing for years how the emergency broadcast system basically prepares us so that when we hear that, we would know how to respond. When we're prepared, we don't have to be anxious when it comes test time. If you remember in school, the kids that sat on the front row, that did their homework, that learned, that did a little bit every day, when it came test time, they they weren't in a panic attack. They weren't overly anxious. But if you were like a whole lot of folks and you didn't do your homework, and you didn't show up half the time when test day came, you were praying that the Lord would come through for you. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I need you. <laughs> oh, Father, I just pray that you just supernaturally reveal to me what I'm supposed to write in these blanks, oh, Lord. <laughs> but you know what? If you've prepared for the test, you don't have to worry about the test. If we learn to walk with the Lord and let him teach us, if you, if, you, if you keep your heart right toward God, even when you make a mistake, even when you blow it, he's going to turn it around as a blessing because you're going to learn something out of it. Oh, if we could get past that old hyper-fundamentalist, just God dangling you over the flames kind of an idea because it's produced such an outrageous terror in the hearts of people that they walk around all week long thinking that God is mad at them, ready to just bust them upside the head if, if they have one bad thought or they look in the wrong direction or they say something they shouldn't have said or do something they shouldn't have done. And I want to tell you, as a child of God, your heavenly Father doesn't look at you like that. Now, now, now let me tell you, let, let, let me bring a little balance to that because you want to get out here and live like you're not his child. He has a way of disciplining those that are his. Honey, the Lord can take you to the woodshed in a hurry. And, and I'm probably dating myself because that's my grandpa talking right there. That's Jake Blake from Mark Tree, Arkansas talking right there. That's a razor strap that hung on the back door that he used the, and he shaved himself with a straight razor. Ain't no way I would try that. I'd probably cut my own throat trying that. And he'd, he'd sharpen that and he'd take that razor strap down. And, and once in a while that kind of got applied to the, the board of education to the seat of... Are you hearing what I'm saying? God has a way of dealing with his children. And his dealings will teach us something. But I want to tell you, even that, that God is not to punish you. He's out to bring therapy. He's out to help you. Sometimes his therapy can be a little bit painful. Somebody say amen. It's a test. It's only a test. Look at this. Verse 1 of Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Now think about this. From Genesis 12 to Genesis 22, there's a period of over 40 years that's taken place. 25 years from the time that God had made the promise to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations before Isaac is actually born. And by this point where they're headed up the mountain, because God is going to test Abraham's faith, it's probably been 15, 16, 17 years. This is not a baby infant that Abraham is taking up Mount Moriah to sacrifice. This is a teenage boy who's at least 15, probably 17, 18 years old, okay? So he says in verse 2, Take your son 
your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Everybody say, take and go. Say it again. Take and go. Take your only son, Isaac. Now, we know that he has another son named Ishmael, but God didn't recognize him because he came illegitimately. He didn't wait for the promise of God. He tried to, he tried to produce the promise of God in his own strength. And he produced an Ishmael. And the Bible says that Ishmael will be a wild ass of a man. Don't get offended at me. That's what the Bible says. Read it yourself. And sure enough, Ishmael was a wild donkey. Rebellious, not submissive. How many of you know when you produce something in your own strength, not waiting for the timing of God, it'll be a wild ass that you'll end up producing? That's pre- I'm preaching so good right now. Don't shout me down. He says, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Verse 3, the next morning. Everybody say the next morning. This is what is so amazing to me because... Too often, the Lord speaks something to us, gives us some direction. We have a prompting. A word jumps off the page to us. Just just an unction of the Holy Spirit drawing us to do something. And we'll sit on it for weeks or months. God, help us to learn how to hear, respond, and act. Say that with me. Hear, respond, and act. That's what God wants us to do. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac, Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Now this is what I want you to get out of this portion. This is the test. It is only a test. Basically, first of all, let me remind you that anytime God asks a question, it isn't because he doesn't already know the answer. When God asks you a question, he wants you to make sure you know the answer. He wants to show you your own heart. He wants to test you, to try you, help you see the promise of God and the God of the promise. 25 years have been in the making, 15, 16, 17 years being raised up, nurtured, (coughs) excuse me, in the nurture and the admonition of the faith of the Lord. And so it's been 40 years plus since God spoke the promise to Abraham. Now, pardon me this morning. I keep getting something in the back of my throat. So the question is this. Abraham, do you love the promise of God or the God of the promise more? Do you love the promise of God, Isaac, the answer to the prayers, what you believe God for, the fact that you would have a son that would become the progenitor, the father of multitudes of people that would touch the nations, that would share the blessing of God, that through that seed all the families of the earth would be blessed. All the promises that God makes to Abraham are going to be tied up in this miracle child, in this miraculous supernatural gift from God. God didn't just in the next year when Abraham was 76 and Sarah was 66, they're 10 years apart, God waited until it was so far gone that they couldn't in any way whatsoever be able to say, look what we did. It was a miracle child of God. Now, it wasn't immaculate conception. Abraham still had something to do, and Sarah did too. The Scripture says God caused her womb to receive strength so that she could conceive. And and, and it wasn't just waiting for God to zip open the heavens and drop down a baby boy. 
There was a process. How many of you know God uses processes? God uses natural means many times to deliver a supernatural blessing. Come on, somebody. And so there's always something that you have to do. Faith without works is dead. There has to be some action. Take. You have to hear, you have to respond, you have to act. The next morning he gets up and he sees the place on the third day. Basically, God is asking him the question, do you love this promise that I gave you, the promise of God, more than you love me, the God of the promise? Because it's so easy sometimes for us to trust God and believe and see the answer to something that we've been believing for for sometimes years, maybe even decades, finally come to pass. And what, what is so easy to happen is that thing can become a point of idolatry. Let me just tell you right now, 30 years it took to get into this place, but folk, it's just a building. I, I want to tell you, without the Lord, without the Holy Ghost, it's just a building. I really couldn't care less. I need Jesus. I need Him. I need Him to walk with me and go with me and be with me and speak to me and lead me and guide me and the same thing in your life. My hope is not in any of this. I'm thankful it's a tool. We, we can do a better job reaching the delta with what we have now. It took us years to get here, but there's nothing idolatrous about this place because it, all it takes is just one and it's gone. My trust is not in this. My trust is the one who gave us this. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give us the Lord praise. Give the Lord praise. God sees all of your needs and he has provided for them in his covenantal promises. Point number two, true worship always requires sacrifice. True worship always requires sacrifice. Listen, he tells his servants, stay here with the donkey. Abraham told the servants, the boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there. Everybody say worship. We will worship there and then we will what? Say it. We will come right back. I love that. Now, you know the story. You know what's going to happen. He's going up to Moriah, which is going to later become the building site for the Temple of Solomon. The very location where Abraham sacrificed his son, his only son, his promise of God's son, Isaac, is the same location where God had Solomon build the temple. And this sacrifice that we see is a picture of Jesus himself because the father gave his son. As you look this morning, it says, we will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife and the two of them walked on together. Isaac turned to Abraham and he said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Now, this is why I want you to see it's obvious from the text here. We have... We have some dating ability and some estimation. But if this boy's big enough to carry a stack of wood, it's not an infant. It's not a baby. This is a strapping young man. He's a teenager. I have never in my life heard anybody preach a sermon on the willingness of Isaac. It's always taught from or preached from the perspective of Abraham who raised the knife to obey God, to sacrifice his son. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know too many 17, 18-year-olds that are willing to let daddy time and lay him across an altar with fire and a knife and go, son, we're going to trust God. And how many, how many of you know teenage boys are going to trust God my, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you better let me get up off this thing. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It took an intense degree 
of faith and trust in a young man's heart who believed in his dad and the relationship he had with a God who had shown up enough times in their lives that he willfully laid himself down. This is just a picture of our Heavenly Father and Jesus who will willingly, willfully, without rebellion, without complaint, without resistance in any way whatsoever, laid himself and submitted to the cross, laid himself on the altar and became the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Look at this. He says, we have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Read it with me. Come on, everybody. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. Now, when you read this in the King James, it's really beautifully clear there. Uh, This is one of the times when I really would go back to the King. So many times you have to explain words that aren't used. They're 300-year-old, 400-year-old Elizabethan English words. And it's just we have to take up too much time trying to explain to people what those words mean. And so I use a newer translation. But this time I really love the King James because it literally says God will provide himself. And there's a definite article in the Hebrew. God will provide himself the lamb. Did you hear what I just said? Say it with me. God will provide himself the lamb. Now, sometimes you have to say things four or five times before you really get it. Come on, say it with me. God will provide himself the lamb. Lights are going on. I can see it on your face. Say it with me. Come on. God will provide himself the lamb. Are you hearing that? It's not just God is going to give us a lamb, but God himself is going to provide himself the lamb. And himself showed up 2,500 years later in the, in the Son, Jesus Christ. God the Son showed up and he provided himself the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. I love that. Verse 9, when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar, arranged the wood on it. Get this. Look at this 17, 18-year-old strapping, muscled-up young boy. Then he tied his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, why is it that God sometimes waits till the very last second before he comes through and answers what you've been praying for him to bring. At that moment, I can imagine the the intensity of determination that Abraham had to have going up the mountain with faith already spoken out of his mouth when he told his servants, the boy and I are going to go up yonder and we're going to worship and we will come right back. So he was believing that if God actually let him follow through with this, that God would raise him from the dead. I'm glad there's nobody on the front row because I can't get a hold of... I'm like baptizing folks. I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on. Let me back up here a little bit. At that moment, at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. I can imagine that if I had gotten up myself, if I had gotten the courage and the gumption, that's an old southern word, if I had gotten the gumption to follow through with the unction of what I was sensing to do, that I would probably be so determined, I don't know, that I would stop. I I would probably have gone ahead and driven the knife through. But the Bible says the angel of the Lord at that moment shouted Abraham's name, got his attention, and he listened 
The angel of the Lord is not just any angel in heaven. It's just not a, not a rank and file wing dude. The angel of the Lord is the angel of the covenant. It is the Lord's angel. It is the Lord's messenger. Hebrew scholars, Bible commentators will tell you that every time you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, notice it didn't just say an angel spoke. It said the angel of the Lord. That's an Old Testament appearance of Christ. It's a Christophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus showing up. And he says, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Now, when you look at this passage, we use an interpretive hermeneutic. That's a $100 theological term, which means to interpret. There is a term referred to or a principle called the law of first mention. The law of first mention basically says that the first time you see a concept mentioned in the Bible, the context and the meaning around that word will carry its way through the rest of Scripture. So what is the word that's the first mentioned here in Genesis 22? For the very first time in the Bible, we find the word worship. Abraham says, I and the lad will go yonder and we will worship and we will come back here again. Everybody say worship. I want you to realize that worship is not just lifting your hands and singing some songs with some loud music. Worship always involves sacrifice. We don't have any means whatsoever to worship had it not been for the sacrifice and the shed blood and the shared blood of Jesus Christ this morning. Our worship would not be acceptable to God apart from his blood covering us because our righteousness is as filthy rags. It is a sacrifice. It's a follow-through. It's sometimes I don't feel like it. The psalmist didn't say, I will bless the Lord every now and then. His praise will sometimes be on my lips, in my mouth. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That means when I don't feel like it. That means when it doesn't look like anything's happening. And guess what? Usually when I obey God, when I don't feel like it, it's at that moment that he'll show up and he'll bring deliverance into my life. Come on, somebody give him praise. Worship always involves sacrifice. You sign up to serve. It's easy to sign a card, but there's, there's going to come a Sunday when you're laying in the bed and you're battling, you're having the battle of the mattress and you get wrapped up in the battle of the blankets and you're just feeling that the Spirit is... Has, there's an unction on you to just, just cuddle what way down deeper into all those blankets. And you know that there are teams that are there waiting on you. And there are folks that you're supposed to put a smile on your face and help us serve and plant a seed of happiness and joy and the goodness of God because we're, as a team, trying to reap the harvest of the delta and see souls saved and come into the kingdom of God. And people hear the covenantal promises of God and trust God that he has provision. He sees ahead of time and he provides for everything you need in his covenantal promises. And we need you here to get the coffee ready. We need you here to shake a hand. We need you here to teach a class. And it's in that moment where your commitment becomes a sacrifice and it becomes real worship on those days when you don't want to do it, but you get up and you do it anyway. It's amazing how there are things that I don't want to do when I actually show up and then I feel so much better. I'm so glad that I did. Man, I'm so glad that I did because 
God showed up and he showed me that it wasn't me doing it anyway. It was my just little bitty meager attempt and he took my little bit and he put his greatness with it. He put my ordinary and he put his extra on top of it and he showed up in an extraordinary way. I sure wish somebody would help me preach in this house this morning. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. I'm reading from Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned, listen to this, that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. When Abraham looked at his servants and says, I and the boy will go yonder and worship and we will come right back. It was a declaration of faith. They didn't know he was going to the mountain to sacrifice his son. His son didn't even know he was going to the mountain to be sacrificed. But Abraham spoke in faith and he said, we will come right back. Knowing that if God let him follow through, he would raise him from the dead. God sees all of your needs ahead of time. And he provides for them in his covenant promises. My last point. Have you got anything out of this this morning? The mountain of the Lord's provision. I love this. The mountain of the Lord's provision. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. The horns speak of authority. You you identify a ram by the the years that it took to grow those those horns. And his horns are caught in a thicket. And Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, laid down his heavenly authority and allowed himself to be caught into the sin and the sickness and the disease and the sorrows and the death and all of the curse. And he laid his life down and let himself be caught in that. Willingly laid his life on the cross and took away the sins of the world. This is a picture of Jesus. This is a picture of the heavenly father who gladly gives his son. And look at this. So he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering. Say it with me. In place of. This is one of multitudes of places in the Bible where we derive what is called the substitutionary sacrifice or the substitutionary atonement. God made atonement for our sins by letting Jesus die in the place of. Nobody does that. There's no judicial system or legal system in the world that will let an innocent man die in the place of a guilty man or a woman. But God in his infinite mercy took his perfect son, his impeccable, sinless son, who was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin, and the godly suffered in the place of the ungodly. The just died for the unjust. The unrighteous laid down his life substituted in my place. I'm so grateful for that. It says, in the place of his son, Abraham named the place Yahweh Yiri, which means the Lord will provide. Everybody say, see and provide. To this day, people still use the name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. I'm finished. Just three verses. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and you've not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name. What else is God going to swear by? There's nothing greater than God. 
So he swears by his own name. I swear by myself. Hebrews says that he spoke an oath because by two immutable things, it's impossible for God to lie. He swore by nothing greater. He swore by himself, saying, in blessing, I will bless you, and in multiplying, I will multiply you. And this is what he says, I certainly will bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. There's still a blessing in obedience. Paul said in in Galatians 3 and 4 that God preached the gospel to Abraham. And this is the very foundation of it. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It wasn't faith plus works. It was just belief. It was just faith. Believe God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And then his obedience, his work, his act flowed out of a changed identity, something that came because of faith alone. That's the same way it works with us this morning. If you've never crossed that line of faith, it's not about putting together, stacking up a bunch of perfect works. No matter, no matter how many boxes of Girl Scout cookies you bought this year. My problem is not how many I bought, it's how many I ate. Dawn would always buy those thin mints and put them in the freezer. And she used to think that she had a secret place in the freezer on the meat section back there for her. There was her stash. But I found them, glory to God. It's not your perfect works because none of us are perfect and none of our works are good enough, but it's just faith in his perfect work. What he did for us, what he did in the place of us, what he substituted for us. He died in my place. He laid down his life for me. My worship is because of his sacrifice. And so I willingly now sacrifice in my worship because of what he's already done. If you would put up those last little points, the principle of substitution, I've talked about that. Then the next one, Yahweh Yeri, God's signature. Look at the word signature. Everybody look at it. Either side, wherever you want to see it. There are two words in that word signature right there. Tell me what two words you see in signature. Sign and, and nature. When you go to the bank and you get a mortgage on your house and you sign your, your, your name, oh gosh, probably 144,000 times, over and over and over and over and over and over and over, all of these, this and that and the other, your signature is basically the sign that your nature is to be good on your promise. When God signs his nature, when he writes his signature in your life, it says, to him that overcometh, will I give a new name? And God writes his name on you. His signature is written into your life. You are called by his name. Now, you're in the, the scripture says in Ephesians chapter three, we are part of the family that, that is all named after Christ. This is our new surname. We're part of the the family of God, the purpose of God. We are in Christ. And now there's a sign on my life that the nature of God is good for 
all that is revealed in His name. He is Yahweh Yeri, the Lord who sees and provides. That means that God has signed His nature into me. There is a signature that He's written on my life because Christ is in me, that He is now my Lord who sees my need and provides for it before I ever ask. Come on, somebody put your hands together and give the Lord praise. These promises, he says, I'll bless you. I'm excited. The next few weeks, we're going to go back to Genesis 11 and 12. And we're going to lay this out. We've, 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 we've come at this backwards, and I did this on purpose. If, if you remember this from your literature class in high school or college, the French used the term denouement, D-E-N-O-U-E-M-E-N-T, denouement. And it's, it's this idea of bringing something to an apex, or we might call it the climactic moment in a movie. And so Genesis 22 is the denouement. It's this place where God brings this amazing thing up to an apex to reveal what's going to come 2,500 years later in his son who is the ram that's caught in the thicket that would become the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And in this moment, he literally receives his son raised as a figure in resurrection. This promised miracle baby, Isaac. And in that moment, God signs his name. I am Yahweh Yuri. I am your Lord who sees your need and provides for it. You know what? You show up and have a mountaintop experience like that, you ain't never going to doubt that God will provide your needs ever again. But I want to say this to you this morning. You can't just lollygag and pour mouth down in the valley you got to get up to the mountain where the Lord provides. What is the mountain of the Lord's provision? It's, it's praise when you don't feel like it. It's following through on the serve team when you've got the battle of the mattress and the battle of the blankets going on in your life. It's getting up and following through and going to work and being an example to your children that are seeing how you live your life and not just what you say. It's, it's worship unto God. Worship is not just hands lifted in a nice cool song with great music and some lights. Worship is a life of sacrifice. Everything we do, we do it unto the Lord. And we do it for the glory of God. We worship in 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. This is just a moment where we get together as the family of God and for a few minutes collectively lift our voices in the outward demonstration of some worship. But it's tomorrow when you don't feel like it. It's, it's calling the person to encourage them, the one that you know is going to bend your ear for a 90-minute phone call. And you're going to get five minutes of that time to just be able to say, now look, let me tell you, let me encourage you because God is able to meet your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You can't keep focusing on the negativity. You've got to lift your eyes up. You've got to get some faith. Come on out of that valley of despair and that pity party. Get up on the mountain of the Lord's provision. Look, folk, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Forgive me, it is so worn out. It's an Albert Einstein quote, but if we keep doing the same things we've been doing, expecting different results, it's insanity. If you keep doing what you've been doing, you'll keep getting what you've been getting. You're going to have to do, God is doing, what was it, the newsboys? God is doing a new thing, new thing, new thing. That's 25 years ago. Everybody said, God's doing a new thing. And guess what? If the first thing that comes out of your mouth when you see God doing a new thing is, well, granny never did it that way. 
we've never done it that way before. How many of you know you're a candidate for God to do something new in your life right there? Come on. Have you got anything out of this this morning? Hallelujah. The Lord is our provision. He sees our, ahead of time, beforehand, our need, and he has provided everything we need in his covenant promises. Bow your hearts and your heads with me, please, this morning. Nobody